Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Fresh Vision Church here in El Paso, Texas. Wherever you're at, I want to thank you for watching or listening to this message. I've been praying for you all week. If you watched or heard last week's message, then you know that in the first part of this chapter, Jesus addresses four groups of people at a dinner party. The religious leaders, the guests, the host, and an unnamed individual that was just sitting there at the table. Well, in our passage this morning, the scene will shift and the Lord will address a fifth group, those who are following him to Jerusalem. Now, as they draw near to their destination, Jesus is well aware of all that he's going to have to endure while he's there. So in this final section of chapter 14, Jesus will explain to all those traveling with him what following him truly means. Now today, there are many who say they follow Christ, but do so at a distance because they found out that the cost of commitment was too high for them to pay. Then there are others who want to follow Christ, but have never taken the time to really consider the high price they may have to pay as a true disciple. Well, in our text today, Jesus will make it clear to everyone who sincerely wants to follow him that the cost of commitment will require absolute devotion, total commitment, and complete sacrifice. So I've titled today's message, The Cost of Commitment. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in Luke chapter 14. And while you turn there, I'll be opening up with a word of prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we're thankful that you've given us this morning. We're thankful that you've given us your word so that we may read it, so that we may hear it. And now help us to understand what today's text says, Lord. Soften our hearts and minds to receive the message that's about to be delivered. Lord, so that we may be changed, so that you may speak to us clearly. Lord, I pray that you will remove all distractions from anybody that's watching this message. And I pray that you will save many through this message. Lord, we continue to pray for the sick, for those lying in hospital beds or at home suffering with COVID, Lord. All those in ICU, we pray for them, Lord. We pray that you heal them, that you strengthen them, Lord. And we pray for our city, we pray for our state, and we pray for our country, Lord that many will come to know you after this whole COVID-19 pandemic is leveled out, Lord, and that we'll be able to meet as churches once again, Lord. In the meantime, again, just use this message. You may go out there in the world wide web powerfully, and for your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. Last week, we left off in verse 24, and today we'll be picking up in verse 25. And the Word of God says, Now great crowds were traveling with him. So he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. 
For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to really ridicule him, saying, this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he's able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against them, against them with 20,000? If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. Now, allow me to present this passage to you in a more direct and personal manner in order to help you understand and maybe carefully consider what he's saying here. Imagine for a minute that Jesus Christ showed up right next to you at this very moment and asked you to follow him. What would your response be? How would you respond to him? Now, I have no doubt that many of you will probably tell him, okay, yeah, I will follow you. Okay, now, so imagine this. Now, imagine if he looked you dead in the eye and asked you how much of what you have are you willing to give up to follow me? Again, I think many of you would say, I'll give up everything to follow you. While sadly, many others would say, I'll give up almost everything to follow you. See, this is the kind of question that makes a lot of people uncomfortable because they know that he knows exactly what they value the most and what their limit is. But here's the thing. Real dedication to God has no limits. An authentic commitment to him will mean total sacrifice. Dr. Stephen Lawson wrote, a life of resolve comes with a price tag. There will always be a cross before a crown, sacrifice before success, and reproach before a reward. The call of discipleship will cost you popularity, possessions, and position. But God, God will use your commitment. The grace of God will be multiplied in you if you cultivate a fixed resolution to live for the glory of God. So let's now take a look at this passage, a closer look at this passage, and find out exactly what the Lord wants his followers to know. So after leaving the Pharisee's house, Luke tells us that great crowds were traveling with Jesus to Jerusalem. As they were traveling, as they were following him, Jesus turns around and looks at all of them and begins to speak to them directly. Now, most leaders would be excited to see the widespread interest in such of such an enormous crowd. But the Lord wasn't looking for people who would follow him out of curiosity or with no real dedication. He was looking for those that were willing to live 
devotedly and passionately for him and even die for him if necessary. So he begins to sift out the crowd by informing them of what the consequences of following him will be and explains what it means to be a disciple. Now, just as a side note, just to be clear, the word disciple means a learner or a follower. Thus, a Christian is both a disciple and a follower of Christ. So keep this in mind in case you get confused as we're going through this passage and you know in case you're not sure who he's talking about. So throughout this passage Jesus states what the cost of being a disciple will be. If anyone wants to truly follow him, they must give him absolute devotion, total commitment, and complete sacrifice. Let's examine each one of these, beginning with the first one. In verses 26 and 27, Jesus lets his followers know that the cost of commitment will be absolute devotion. In other words, loyalty to him will take precedence over everything else. He focuses on three specific areas that are particularly important to most people. The first area is the family. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, cannot be my disciple. Since moving here in 2006, I've come to realize how important familial ties are to El Pasoans. There have been several instances when I've been at work when single co-workers have come to me, or who single workers who have come from the northern states have come to me and have told me that they're dating a local girl or thinking about getting engaged. And my normal response to them is, are you ready to spend the rest of your life here in El Paso? Because if you have plans to go back home up north, you can forget about it, especially if she has close family ties here. If she has clothes, if her family is tight here in El Paso. Because once she's here, you're going to be here. And more than likely, she's not going to go anywhere. That's how close, that's how tight the, these family ties are. For many, well, for many, nothing is more valuable to them than the family. But what Jesus is saying here is that our love, devotion, and loyalty towards Him ought to be far more superior than that of our families. Now, He's not suggesting in any way that His followers should have a bitter hatred towards them. Rather, He's emphasizing that love for Him must be so great that familial love will seem almost like hatred when compared to it. Here's how he put it, our Lord Jesus, how, how he put it in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. The one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Christian brothers and sisters, and 
those who desire to follow him, do you love Christ more than you love your family? If your answer is no, then he says you cannot be my disciple. You see, he doesn't want a part of your, your heart. He doesn't want a portion of your love. He wants it all. He wants all of your heart. He wants all of your love. And then you see when he has it all, he will reveal to you a far better and greater love than what you can imagine. And when you have it, when he reveals it to you, you can share it with others. You can give it to your father, your mother, your wife, children, brothers and sisters. And that love will be, again, far better than the love that you've offered them before you came to Christ. The second area he mentions is the self. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own life, cannot be my disciple. While many value family, the family above all else, there are others who view their own existence as supremely valuable. They live to please their own selfish desires and find every means to live as long as possible. But what Jesus is saying here is that if anyone comes to him, they must give up how they want to live and be willing to live a life dedicated to obeying him. Paul wrote this about those who follow Christ in Romans chapter 14, verses 7 and 8. For none of us lives for himself, and no one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. So let me therefore ask you, are you willing to pay the cost by submitting and surrendering your entire life to Jesus Christ? If your answer is yes, then come to Him. Obey Him. And watch as He shapes your life in unimaginable ways. As D.L. Moody said, let God have your life. He can do with it. He can do more with it than you can. As a born-again believer, make every effort to live a Christ-centered life and not a self-centered life. Live for the glory of God and not for your own glory. Regularly remind yourself that your personal comfort and safety must be subordinate to the great task of glorifying Christ and making Him known. Now, if you're seriously considering following Him, are you willing to kill the ego? Make Jesus your master and put the need of others ahead of your own. If so, you can come to Jesus and be his disciple. And when you do, may you echo the words of Jonathan Edwards when he dedicated his life to the Lord. He writes, On January 12, 1723, 
I made a solemn dedication of myself to God and wrote it down, giving up myself and all that I had to God to be for the future in no respect my own, to act as one that had no right to be himself in any respect, and solemnly vowed to take God for my whole portion and felicity, looking on nothing else as part of my happiness, nor acting as if it were, and his laws for the constant rule of my obedience, engaging to fight against the world, the flesh and the devil, to the end of my life. And the third area he focuses on here is personal ambition. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. This area here might be especially difficult for those who are driven to succeed in their careers. Their entire lives have revolved around doing whatever is necessary to reach the peak of success. Taking down as many people as they possibly can to get there. But here, Jesus is saying that whoever wants to be his disciple will have to yield all personal ambitions and instead bear his own cross. You see, to bear or carry your own cross means daily identification with Christ in shame, suffering, and surrender to God's will. It means death to self, to your own plans and ambitions, and a willingness to serve Him as He directs. It's something we willingly accept from God as part of His will for our lives. A pastor once said this, Toothaches and noisy neighbors and broken dishwashers are not crosses. The Bible would call these trials or thorns. Crosses are the pain and shame and persecution we face for being loyal, a loyal follower of Jesus Christ. Willingness to carry your cross stems from the self-denial and is the ultimate test of your, of your loyalty to follow Him. So the question you must answer here is, will you give up your personal ambitions your plans to live a long life with all kinds of toys and all kinds of riches, are you willing to give all that up, take up your own cross, and identify with Christ? If you're seeking power, responsibility, food, health, fame, or fortune, then you cannot be His disciple. You see, earthly rewards isn't what he's offering, and it's not what he's promising. What he wants is devotion to him and a dedication to crucifixion. If you can give him that, then he promises rewards in the next world with the resurrection. Listen again here, what listen to what C.H. Spurgeon C.H. Listen to what C.H. Spurgeon said. There are no crown wearers in heaven who are not cross bearers here below. So the first cost of commitment to Jesus will be absolute devotion in the areas of our loyalty, our life, and our personal ambitions. 
Let's now take a look at the next one. In verses 28 to 32, the Lord uses two illustrations to inform his followers that they must carefully and wisely consider the cost before making a total commitment to him. In his first illustration, Jesus uses the example of an imprudent builder who started a project but wasn't able to finish it. The Lord here is describing a person who doesn't understand what it means to be a disciple and later realizes it, later realizes that the cost of commitment was greater than anticipated. If you want to be a disciple of Christ, by all means, go for it. Just count the cost whether you really mean to abandon your life wholeheartedly to Him. Otherwise, you might start off your discipleship journey in a blaze of glory and then fizzle out by having to turn back when you're only halfway there. Then those whom you thought you could leave behind will laugh and ridicule you when you return to them in your failed, for your failed endeavor. Therefore, before making the decision to take up the cross and follow Jesus, count the cost and be ready to pay it. Take a moment to see if you're, the, if you're the kind of material that He can use to build the church. In His second illustration, Jesus uses the example of a prudent king who wisely considers his options when going to war against an enemy that clearly outnumbers him. Here again, the Lord is describing a person who carefully thinks about what to do when the odds are against him and wisely chooses the right course of action. The point he's making is that if you're going to follow him, you must realize that it's either going to be absolute committal or abject surrender. So here too, before dedicating your life to him, you must take a moment to see if you're the kind of person that he can use to battle the enemy. Let me remind you what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the, in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. As our commanding officer, the king, our lord, his mission is to rescue and enslave people. And that won't be accomplished with half-hearted soldiers who aren't willing to follow orders and pay the ultimate price. Well, so far we've seen that the cost of following Jesus will be absolute devotion and total commitment. Let's now take a look at a final one. In verse 33, Jesus tells everyone that the cost of following him, the cost of following him will be complete sacrifice. There he explicitly states that every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. Now, keep in mind that he isn't saying that a person must be willing to renounce all. Rather, he's saying that they must renounce all. This is the genuine and absolute willingness to completely 
sacrifice temporal goods in the service of Christ. So what Jesus is saying is that if you want to be his disciple, you have to let go and leave behind all those idols in your life that have ever distracted you, that will distract you from him. You see, he wants men and women who esteem him more than everything else in this entire world. J.C. Ryle noted this. The man who does well for himself is the man who gives up everything for Christ's sake. He makes the best of bargains. He carries the cross for a few years in this world and in the world to come has everlasting life. He obtains the best of possessions. He carries his riches with him beyond the grave. He is rich in grace here, and he is rich in glory hereafter. And best of all, what he obtains by faith in Christ, he never loses. It is that good part which is never taken away. To follow him then will require you to say goodbye to every material possession you're holding on to with no regard of ever returning to reclaim it. By leaving it behind, you're letting him know that you'll go wherever he goes and you'll go wherever he sends you. And it also shows him that you understand that dedication to him is dedication to a life without material possessions to fall back on. 1 John 2.15 tells us this, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, if you're going to follow him, if you're going to be a disciple, if you're going to be a Christian, there's one more thing, or there's something else that you need to know. Complete sacrifice isn't letting go of those things that you can easily give up. And to be frank, these mediocre sacrifices are nothing more than dog scraps. Complete sacrifice means completely letting go of all those, all those things that will give you a reason to say, well, if this Christian thing doesn't work out, if it gets too hard, if I get tired, um, I can always go back to this or that. Ladies and gentlemen, a commitment to Christ will cost you everything. Will you leave it all behind, pick up your cross, and follow Him? If that's not a price you can pay, He says at the end of verse 33 that you cannot be my disciple. Now, some of you may have noticed that I didn't read the last two verses of this chapter. And no, I didn't forget and I wasn't planning on skipping it. My plan was to read it and cover it separately. So let's go back to Luke chapter 14 and check out those last two verses and see what it says. Luke chapter 14, verse 34. Now, salt is good, but if salt should lose its taste, how will it be made salty? It isn't fit for the soil or for the manure pile. 
they throw it out. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen. In these two verses, we're taught three important lessons. The first important lesson is this. Salt is good. In those days, it was a valued item. Part of a soldier's pay was actually given in salt. It was also used as a preservative, a purifying agent, and gave flavor to things. And because of this, because of its wide uses and in different areas, the Lord uses salt to describe a disciple who is living devotedly and sacrificially for him. In this world, Christians act as preservatives, helping to impede the growth of evil and decay, and as purifying agents that make, that cleanses things and helps to fight infection. Believers, like salt, gives flavor to things and by our behavior and conduct makes people thirsty for the Lord and the salvation that He alone can give. However, if the salt in Jesus' day came into contact with something impure like the earth or, or the dirt, it would lose its saltiness. This leads me to the next important lesson, lesson number two. If salt should lose its taste, it's unusable. Once salt loses its flavors, there's no way to restore it. And if it isn't fit for, and it isn't fit for soil or for the manure pile. So it was just thrown out into the streets to be walked on. What was once good and useful was now bad and useless and ready to be discarded. So you see, this describes a disciple who starts off salty, then loses it when they break their vows and Christian character. Similar to salt, a follower of Christ has one basic existence. Anyone failing to fulfill that reason through corruption or assimilation, their preservative and purifying value has been lost and is useless as a follower of Jesus. So just as salt is only useful when it has the nature of salt, a Christian is only useful when he or she has the nature of Christ. Let me just also add this. The difference between salt and the Christian is this. If you've lost your saltiness, you can come back to Christ. You can come back to the Lord. You can come back to the cross. And He can restore you. The Lord can and will make you salty again if you simply come to the cross with a broken and repentant heart. And you see, as long as you're alive, as long as you're still breathing, while you're still here, He can do that because He still wants to use you. He still has a plan for you. 
So yes, he can make you salty again. He might not put you in the same position you were in before, but he will make you salty again. He will restore you. The third important lesson is this. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. These words imply that not everyone will have the willingness to listen to the stringent terms of discipleship. But if a person is willing to follow the Lord Jesus, no matter what the cost may be, then he should hear and listen. The question, therefore, that each of us, each of you must ask is this. Have you got hearing ears? There's a story of two men who, walking together, found a young tree laden with fruit. They both gathered and and satisfied themselves for the present. But one of them took all the remaining fruit and carried it away with him. The other took the tree and planted it in his own ground, where it prospered and brought forth fruit every year. So that though the former had more at present, yet this had some when he had none. They who hear the word and have large memories and nothing else may carry away most of the, wor- most of the word at present. Yet he that can perhaps remember little, who carries away the tree, plants the word in his heart and obeys it in his life, shall have fruit when the other has none. So as I begin to close here, this last section of chapter 14 ought to have shown you that if you want to be a follower of Jesus, if you want to be a disciple, the cost of commitment won't be cheap. The price will be absolute devotion, total commitment, and complete sacrifice. Now some of you, I understand, I know that you may have already paid an enormous price for following Jesus. If this is you, I want to remind you of a promise that Jesus made. And that promise is found in Matthew chapter 19, verse 29. Everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or fields because of my name will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. Yet I also suspect that there are others who have or, un- or are unwilling to pay the price of following Jesus because the cost is too high. If this is you, it's important that you understand what I'm about to say. Don't fool yourself into believing that you'll be able to afford the cost later in life. Because the truth is this. The price for following Jesus Christ will always be the same. The only difference between now and later is what and how much you'll have to sacrifice. And if it's tough now, it'll be just as tough later on. Friends, keep this in mind as well. 
God has been known to take those things that we are unwilling to freely give up in order to draw us nearer to Him. However, the choice to believe, trust, and follow Him will still be yours. But by removing them, He's just making it a little easier for you to make that choice. But as you consider the cost of commitment, I hope that you'll take a moment to weigh it against the enormous price Jesus had to pay to free you from sin and death. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, He was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on Him, and we are healed by His wounds. So what is the aim of life? Every philosopher has tried to answer this question. For Jesus, though, the answer he taught was simple. The aim of life is death. Throughout this chapter, Jesus showed us that death comes in many forms, that this death comes in many forms, such as death to long-held religious convictions, death to social rules, death to rules of etiquette, and death to religious expectations. And in this final section of chapter 14, our Lord showed us that traditional loyalties, such as things as social status, family, and personal achievement must die as well. They must die and be replaced by absolute commitment to Jesus, a commitment that will lead to rejection and crucifixion. So if the aim of life is death, then you must count the cost before you decide to completely follow Him for the rest of your life. Thus, I once again ask you this, and you must answer it personally. Are you willing to die to yourself? To renounce everything you value bear your cross and follow him if so then come and be his disciple if you're watching and listening and you haven't made that commitment to follow Christ and you want to but you still have after hearing this you still have some reservations let me tell you that I think that's good it's good because it means that after hearing this message, you're now seriously considering whether or not you can pay the high cost of that commitment. And I won't lie, I'll be honest with you. Being a Christian will not be a walk in the park. Yes, it's going to be difficult at times. It will be challenging. You will be ridiculed. There are times that your heart is going to break because the people you love most have, re will re have rejected Christ. You have a beautiful and wonderful message and no one wants to hear it. You f you're gonna, there are going to be times when you feel alone. 
No one cares for you. It's going to be challenging. Your faith will be stretched. But let me tell you this. If you can endure those hardships and remain salty, you will, go, you will grow stronger and your faith will run deeper. Listen, the rewards for following Him are far more valuable than anything this world will ever have to offer. And let me just give you a few examples of what those rewards will be. Eternal life in a new body with a new name in a place where there will never be darkness and where you'll never have to experience the tears of suffering and pain ever again. So if you're going to commit yourself to follow Jesus, take that step. If your uncertainty comes from whether or not you can do it, the Lord knows you can. The, the Lord knows you can do it. You just have to just take that step and allow Him to shape you and transform you. He is the one doing the work. You just have to allow Him to do it through you and in you. So take that step of faith and go all in. Don't make that commitment half-heartedly. As I said before, He doesn't want part of you. He wants it all. He wants all of you. So if you've done that, if you've sat there and you've counted the cost and you've said yes, and you're saying, yes, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I'm willing to forsake everything. I'm willing to renounce it all. I'm willing to give Him absolute devotion, total commitment, and complete sacrifice. If you're there and you're ready to do that, I want to invite you to come to the cross of Jesus. Surrender your life to Him and allow Him to be the Lord of your life the master of your life. If that's what you want and you're ready to do that, wherever you're at, close your eyes and bow your head. And if you need to, if you're, at a, if you're able to, you can even get on your knees and pray this prayer with all sincerity. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead. I now turn from my sins and confess you as personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. Now fill me with the Holy Spirit so that He may help guide me in my new born-again life. In your glorious name, amen.
if you've prayed that, I want you to get a hold of us. Let us know. I want to help lead you into your next steps of your Christian walk. Give us a call. Write us a message. Let us know so that we can contact you. I will contact you and maybe help you find a church in your area that you can go to so that you can be surrounded by believers and Christians. Now, I know that right now we can't do that because of the stay-at-home orders, but this will be over soon. This isn't going to last forever. And what better way to start a new life than starting a new church or uh, just being at church? If you're here in El Paso, then I want to invite you to come and join us here. We may not be a big, extravagant, flashy church with all the bells, whistles, and, and smoke you know, coming out of the ground, but we are a faithful church. We are a humble church. And we are a God-fearing church that wants to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in this community, in this community and all over the world. If you want to be a part of that, you're welcome to join us. Our doors will be open to you once we can open the doors. So again, I, I want to invite you to, to come check us out. If you want to know more, go to our website, fvcelp.org. Let me repeat that, fvcelp.org. For you military people, it's Foxtrot Victor Charlie, Echo Lima Papa, dot Oscar Romeo Golf. We're here for you. And as long as the Lord has us here, we will continue to serve you. We will continue to minister to you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to this message and watching it. May you have a blessed week. Stay safe, stay, stay healthy, wear those face masks, and wash your hands regularly. Have a blessed day. We'll see you next week.